Hello and welcome to the CGF Sustainability Podcast Series. My name is Louise Chester and I work in the communications team at the Consumer Goods Forum. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labour to plastic waste, deforestation, food waste and refrigeration. Today, I'm joined by Lisa Moon, Chief Executive Officer at the Global Food Banking Network. She really is an expert on all things related to food banking, so I really want to use this opportunity to learn as much as possible from her about how our industry can get involved. So hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm well, Louise, and thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome indeed. So perhaps the the logical starting point would be if you could tell our listeners, Lisa, a bit about the mission and work of the Global Food Banking Network. Well, you know, the Global Food Banking Network, or we call it GFN for short, uh, was founded 15 years ago to support food recovery organizations. And today we support organizations in more than 40 countries. But the food banking model itself, which I'll talk about for a minute, was originally started more than 50 years ago with this mission to bring together food abundance to support those facing hunger. It will not be news to anyone listening today that our food system produces enough food for everyone to have enough. Um, In fact, nearly a third of all food produced is lost and wasted. But at the same time, um, post the COVID-19 pandemic, we now have 2.3 billion people in the world, which is more than one in four people that are facing food insecurity. So Louise, food banking is looking to build a bridge between these two challenges and food recovery organizations are working with producers all along the supply chain to rescue wholesome edible surplus and then safely redirect it efficiently to those facing hunger. So our organization's vision is a world without hunger and our mission is to improve community resilience at the local level, improve opportunities for food access at the local level by supporting a thriving network of food banks. And last year during the pandemic, approximately 40 million people turned to a GFN network food bank for support. So given all the pressures facing our food system today, given the level of surplus that is available in the system, we really believe that local food banks and food recovery have this vital role to play as we work to achieve zero hunger and a more sustainable and equitable and resilient food system. Super, thank you so much for sharing that. So I know from from speaking to you already that GFN actively works already with some of our some of the CGF member companies. So for those members who are perhaps listening who aren't yet partnering with with G, GFN and and food member food banks, why would companies partner with food banks? What's in it for them and what are some easy ways that they can do so? So first of all, the work of food banks, including the work of GFN, the food banks across our network would not be possible without private sector support. And I just want to take a minute to thank all of the CGF members that are already actively partnering with their local food banks or at the national or global level. So in normal times, food banks are recovering the vast majority of the product they distribute from agriculture and food partners. So Louise, this is you know upwards of 95% of the food that a food bank is distributing is coming from some point as a recovery 
stream in the ag and food system. Okay. So in terms of why partnering with a food banking organization makes sense, I'd like to offer three points for companies to consider. First, surplus food is in some ways inevitable in today's food system to appropriately meet consumer demand. But of course, producing that that surplus comes at a cost. And um, we absolutely think that there's so much that can be done to prevent surplus in the system. But again, because we as consumers um, really want certain types of food, we want it available around, you know, all year long. And so we do believe that there's going to inevitably be a level of surplus in the system. So food banks are serving as a business solution to help companies manage that surplus. They're reducing the cost of destroying the product and sending it to landfill. So producing Producers can then donate this surplus to accredited food banks in the GFN network, or there's other food banks outside of our network that are also fantastic. And they can do so with confidence that the food will be handled safely and that it will get to the end user without diversion. Secondly, I suggest that donating surplus to food banks also promotes environmental sustainability. I mean, we're going to be having conversations about how do we move away from a carbon economy for the next 10 years. And food waste creates a significant carbon footprint. I think if you look at kind of the total footprint from production all the way to landfill, it accounts to something like six to 8% of all greenhouse gases that are emitted. Wow, it's huge. It's huge. So donating that surplus product to food banks can help reduce that impact. So in 2019, the Global Food Banking Network connected with um, a couple of other large networks, um, the European Food Banking Federation and Feeding America. And we calculated that just of the total food recovered by these three organizations came to the equivalent of 3.75 million metric tons of food, preventing more than 12 billion kilos of greenhouse gases from entering the atmosphere. So um, it's there's a significant opportunity to reduce environmental footprint through donation. Um, the third reason is that um, hunger has always been an issue in the world. Prior to the pandemic, we saw one in four people facing food insecurity. But obviously with the pandemic, the hunger issue is now front and center in many national and certainly global conversations. And what research shows is that from a brand perspective, consumers respond very positively, especially to consumer facing companies that are engaged locally in their communities, helping to address some of the hunger issues. So there are three ways that I would suggest that CGF members can partner with food banks. Um, First, they can create a plan for regular surplus food donation. I think a lot of times, you know, if you have surplus occurring, it's, you know, connecting with your local food bank can be something that is more reactive, but we're seeing much more beneficial relationships, both for the company or the producer and the food bank. If plans are set up in advance, protocols are set up in advance to how are we gonna facilitate a donation efficiently and effectively? So encouraging you know, the, the folks at the local level to reach out and um, connect prior to surplus and discuss you know, under what circumstances could the company donate? What will the mechanism be for that donation, et cetera, we find is really helpful. Um, the second thing that companies can do is encourage their suppliers or their customers to get involved. And we're seeing this a lot with ag producers, with um, you know, a lot of the manufacturers and even the retailers. You know, the supply chain is so interconnected. If you have a company or producer that is already donating, they might be able to reach out to kind of the other parts of the supply chain and encourage donation at those levels. Um, And the third thing is that 
you know, a lot of the successful relationships that we have with private sector companies are based in product donation, but there's also a huge opportunity, I think, for employee engagement um, and having employees volunteer skills that are especially valuable. Um, to food banking operations. It's really a supply chain uh, food manufacturing operation. So there's a lot of overlap between the industry and the charitable sector that can be explored. Thank you. Yeah, it's really useful to hear actually such a clear roadmap being laid out for how members can, can get involved if they wish. And obviously with this issue, there's just so much at stake. And as you just said, so much opportunity to, to make a difference there. So what, Lisa, do you think makes a successful partnership between a business and a food bank? I think that the most successful partnership in food banks are having those proactive conversations that identify likely surplus product streams that would be beneficial for donation, that work out what protocols there are, and that build processes that allow recovery of highly valued products, especially those that require more sensitive handling. So those conversations, if you have them in advance, are really where you're going to see the business benefit to this partnership, reducing the cost of waste, reducing cost of storage, there could be tax benefits that can be more fully realized through those conversation. And of course, the achievement of social responsibility goals. Um, we have found that in many instances, food producers do find it beneficial to financially invest in local food bank partners alongside the product donation, because with financing, food banks can take on more surplus food. They can build out their cold chains, for example, to accept perishable products. They can extend food recovery and distribution into more hard to reach areas and diversify the types of products they're able to provide. You know, one of the great examples of this, of course, is the relationship that Tesco has developed with Fair share in the United Kingdom. And that has enabled, you know, through Tesco, both donating product and doing a financial investments with Fair Share UK enabled such significant amounts of food recovery at the retail level, especially of fruit and veg and protein, you know, foods that are definitely in high demand in the populations that our network is serving. So, um, so those, I think, really thinking about how do we integrate this partnership into the business operation in a way that is beneficial to the business um, is really what we have found leads to the most productive engagement. Brilliant. So I know from having listened to you speak before and, and also the sort of the preparation of this episode that the, there's another way that companies can support food banks, and that's by introducing food banks to other vendors along their supply chain, whether that be the farmers or the logistics or packaging distributors, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. So how do these types of connections, Lisa, impact uh, both people and the planet? Well, at the this type of collaboration, I think is we have seen with our members um, provides some of the a regular supply of some of the most high demand products. You know, we're talking about staples, fruit, vegetables, um, highly nutritious products. Again, um, that that are really necessary to serve the populations where food banks are working. Um, so that's a, certainly the, the traditional product donation, you know, sourcing from surplus streams at various point in the supply chain is the main way food banks are recovering. 
There are some instances though, where there is not a lot of surplus available of high demand products. And I'm thinking specifically about some key staples and what we have seen um, you know, in many places is that producers are able to come together working with their supply chain partners to make manu regular manufacturing of those products to a food bank, um, you know, just part of what their business operation is. Um, we have an amazing partner in Australia, Food Bank Australia, and um, they work very closely with uh, General Mills based there. Um, and together they're able to produce, you know, 10,000 fresh ricotta and spinach pasta meals a month to donate to people facing hunger through that food bank. And General Mills is able to do that because they're working with all of their supply chain partners up, the, uh, you know, upstream um, to make mm -hmm. that type of donation possible on a regular basis. So I think that's the type of creativity that we're really looking for. What, what does the food bank need to provide to clients um, that they're not able to source through recovery streams? And is there a way for industry to step into that gap. So Lisa, my penultimate question for you, how does the policy environment impact food donation? Well, Louise, it's a great question because national policy plays a pivotal role in um, facilitating donation of surplus products to food banks or to any other charitable organization that a company or food producer might be working with. Um, and this is actually one of the topics that GFN has been working most ardently on. We, um, we actually have a, par a policy partnership, excuse me, with Harvard Food Law and Policy Clinic, you know, trying to better understand how these frameworks can be facilitating greater donation. But what we're seeing is that policy can either significantly um, disincentivize or incentivize donation. And it does so through a number of ways. Um, first of all, uh, like, policy can offer liability protection to donors, not just to companies, but to any food donors. Um, a lot of times, if you are donating product anywhere, you have concerns about what could happen um, if that product were consumed um, and it made someone ill. Um, and there's most countries do not offer any type of liability protection to donors in that case. Um, and that can be a major disincentive. Uh, the second thing is confusion around date labeling. Um, there is significant differences among best buy, sell by, and use by dates. Um, most countries don't have any guidelines on when those are used. And that can cause confusion with consumers. Um, standards for freshness and quality may also be mistaken for food safety standards. And so that can be a significant challenge when it comes to when do you donate and can you move that product fast enough safely. Um, there's also a big challenge with tax policies. Um, we should be rewarding um, producers for donating product and funds to charitable organizations that are addressing a real human need in a way, frankly, that government is not stepping in. So there should be tax incentives for that. And what we see in places where there are tax incentives for product donation or financial donation, of course, you are seeing significantly <laughs> more activity in that space than in places where there is not. And in some countries, there's even a penalty for donation. You could have donors having to pay back for the product that they're, um, that they're donating, which is a huge discouraging factor. Um, and then finally, there really needs to be clarification around food safety. Um, in places where we're seeing food donation be most successful is when there are clear guidelines um, on what are the safety standards for donated product, not just for sold product, but what are the safety standards for donated product. Um, and because otherwise, companies and producers are left to interpret what, you know, 
what, what these standards are. Um, and it causes a lot of confusion. So I think that um, a major movement nationally or regionally, depending on kind of which systems are governing some of the food safety standards, we would see a big change um, in donated product. Thanks, Lisa. Yes, it's super interesting. And absolutely, there's just so much to unpack there from what you just said. And I think one very notable thing that I just wanted to comment on is is the date labeling. We at the CGF were, you know, we have worked on that over the years. We, our task force on that quite quickly realized that um, it is an extremely complex topic with so many different um, players uh, involved in, in in these labels and so many different rules everywhere globally. Um, uh, an almost impossible um, feat to achieve. So my last question to you, Lisa, is about the future of food banking. I wanted to hear from you if you if you have a vision as to whether in 10 years time, you know, what what will it look like? You know, well, Louise, um, I first just want to say that, you know, it's it's such a privilege and a challenge to work, I think, on issues um, that are are this widespread and contribute so much to uh, just human suffering. And of course, my wish, and I think everyone who works in the sector is that in 10 years, you wouldn't need food banks, um, that the, the problem of food access uh, has been sufficiently addressed and that, you know, people are able to access the amount of food they need to uh, be able to afford a nutritious diet <laughs> um, without having to turn, you know, to the charitable sector. Um, so that's, that's my, you know, first and foremost, kind of the, the vision that we're, mm-hmm. we're working towards. Um, I think though, if I look really pragmatically at, you know, where we are with our food system, I just want to say, I'm really encouraged about the conversations that are happening nationally, globally about just the inequity in our food system. And I think that that hopefully will lead to some concerted action, uh, on how do we make the system more environmentally sustainable and more equitable um, for the people that work in it, as well as the people that rely on it for their for their mm-hmm. diets, which is really all of us. I think specifically for food banking, there is such an incredible opportunity for food banks to be playing a greater role, specifically in the recovery and environmental sustainability piece. When we looked at these numbers in 2019, um, kind of totaling up how much of that food from between these three major systems had been recovered, it accounted for less than 1% of the total food that is lost or wasted annually. Um, So I just think that speaks to the opportunity we have to connect this abundance with this incredible human need right now with more than one in four people facing food insecurity. So it is my hope that this crisis, this um, COVID-19 crisis would really provide like that incentive um, to be donating more of the wholesome edible surplus, the desirable products um, to food banks. The, the other thing that really encourages me that I, I look into the future, you know, most of the food banks that we serve are located in regions of the world that are going to be very significantly affected by climate change and where you're seeing population grow the fastest. So, um, and uh, that's in Southeast Asia, South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, 
some parts of Latin America. And, um, and we have been so encouraged and excited about the food banking organizations that are being started in these communities. So we have a poll model, which means that um, if there are people, local leaders that want to be starting food banks, they're reaching out to us and asking for support services. Um, and so since the pandemic, we've had more than 100 inquiries from organizations that have started food banks, want to start food banks because they see this challenge of hunger in their community. And what these local leaders are doing is just incredible. They're very innovative. Um, they're able to think about how they can connect recovery with, um, with need using technology tools that we are absolutely not using yet in more established food banking organizations. Um, and they're obviously incredibly motivated. Um, and so I think that that really excites me that these places in the world where we're going to see just incredible pressure on the food system, that the energy, the ideas, the know-how exists in those places um, to really connect this surplus, you know, with need um, if we take steps to support that. So that's really my hope. Um, I hope that in 2030, we will have achieved our goals, Louise, of zero hunger and having yeah. food loss and waste. Um, but of course, you know, that's the idea idealist in me, but um, from a pragmatic perspective, those are some of the things that um, I think about, but also are very exciting. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a real pleasure to, to take this deep dive into this important topic with you today and hear more about your vision. You obviously, you, you do have such a wealth of knowledge on this topic. So thank you so much for, for sharing all about the very clear environmental and social case and indeed the business case um, to, our, to our listeners today. Thank you very much. Louise, thanks for having me. If you would like to find out more about the Consumer Goods Forum and our work on sustainability, you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you and bye for now.